0: Welcome back to Making Good, the podcast for small businesses who want to make a big impact. I'm your host, Lauren Tilden, and this is episode 207. I am so excited to be back with this month's edition of Making Good Book Club. The book we're covering today is Fascinate by Sally Hogshead. Really quick, more about book club. So once a month, my amazing book club co-host, Sherelle Griffith, and I discuss a book that we think can help move the needle in your small business. And we share our takeaways specifically for small businesses. This month, we're talking about Fascinate, How to Make Your Brand Impossible to Resist, the revised edition by Sally Hogshead. Now, this book was a true goldmine. It is packed full of information and examples way, way, way too much for us to actually get into in this conversation. It is always worth it to pick up a copy of the books that we discuss in Book Club. But Fascinate in particular is so dense with information that we couldn't possibly cover it all in an hour-long conversation. I love this book because of the permission it gives us to explore and figure out our unique approach to marketing rather than pigeonholing ourselves into pre-existing models. Fascinate does an amazing job of helping you figure out what your brand advantage is and then how to apply that tactically to your marketing. Special thanks to Sherelle for recommending this one. I'm so glad that we read it. In this book club episode, we talk about why different is better than better, why marketing to a specific audience makes you stand out the seven fascination advantages, which fascination advantage Shirelle and I each fit into, the fascinate system for brands, and more. Stay tuned through the end of the episode for the announcement of our pick for next month's Making Good Book Club. Just a quick reminder that if you want the updates on Book Club, you can sign up to get notified at makinggoodpodcast.com slash book club. Okay, let's dive into this month's Book Club episode all about Fascinate. Well, hello, Sherelle. Welcome back to Making a Book Club.
1: Thank you for having me back again. I am very excited for this book and very intrigued to hear what you think.
0: Yes, I'm very excited to talk about it. <laughs> um, thank you for bringing this one to the table. This is one that I had heard about but never read. And this was a Sherelle suggestion. So thank you so much. The book that we're talking about is Fascinates. The subtitle is How to Make Your Brand Impossible to Resist by Sally Hogshead. And yeah, this is, a—I would say, overall, my overall take. Like very fascinating book. Fascinating. Very interesting book. <laughs> um, definitely made me think of the word fascinate in a new way and like bring that to marketing a little bit and bring that to how I think about business. Um, we'll go through what she like, why she's so specific about the word fascinate. But yeah, I'm really interested. I liked it. I what I think I like the most, which will come as no surprise to you or anyone listening probably is is very practical. So there's Mm -hmm. like it's not just like try to fascinate your audience. It's like, here, let's figure out what your specific angle is and how you can use that. So I really like that as someone who really likes hands on advice. Like there was tons of that in this book. So I'm excited. That's my that's my take. I know you had read it before, Sheryl. So what what is your overall take on this one? I'd
1: only read it not that long ago though, and it had been a book that was on my like to read list for years. Um, I like generally am always fascinated by things like about branding. And I again I really liked like the practicalness of it, but I also just really liked how it can feel so overwhelming sometimes when you're like, My business is really unique. There's nothing like it in the whole world. And whilst no one likes to like be put in a box, I think (laughs) having some understanding of like really what your brand is standing for and like it sort of fitting in to at least like one of these models can be so, so helpful rather than being like, I'm trying to conquer the whole world. It's like, actually, here's something I can really lean on. And that's what I found really interesting in the book.
0: Mm Yeah. Yeah. So the author, Sally Hogshead, is a ad agency veteran. She worked in some of the biggest ad agencies, working for huge campaigns for a lot of like very much household names. And then she started her own agency before kind of transitioning into being an educator about this concept of or and I think she also does consulting still, but So her thing is really helping brands make a really big splash and, like, capture attention, which... Let's talk about this concept of fascination. Like, what is fascination? Why is she so specific about the language? She's not just saying, like, let's interest our audience or let's, like, excite our audience. Like, fascinate is a word that she uses very specifically. What do you have to say about that?
1: So I don't think I thought of it in the way that she thought of it before and there's like a um definition which talks about the word fascinate comes from the latin fascinare, to bewitch or hold captive so others are powerless to resist and i actually feel as if that definition quite a few people would want to like run away from it and be like well that's definitely not what i want to do like making mm-hmm. other people powerless to resist can feel quite like manipulative or like overbearing. So I don't feel as Mm -hmm. if it's necessarily like something a lot of small business owners in particular would want. But I suppose it's that thing about like captivation. Like we all know we are in a time of struggling to get people's attention and then struggling to keep it. And I think that idea of like captivating people is like when people are captivated, they are interested but they're interested just for like a sustained amount of time. And so that's why I feel like this idea of fascinating is really powerful.
0: Yeah. And she, in, expl- in explaining what f- she means by fascination, there's a lot of language around like witchcraft and black mm. magic. And um, she talks about the Salem witch trials. I a quote that I highlighted from the book in the beginning, where it's talking about the origin of fascination, witchcraft. She says, Is your message provoking strong and immediate emotional reactions? Is it creating advocates and inciting conversation? Are you forcing competitors to realign? If so, you're already flirting with marketing's darker arts. So, I do think there's a really interesting, like, I think so. I would, we'll get into the different types of fascination and the different advantages. But one of them is really, it's called mystique and it's about mystery and kind of like getting people to want to know more and you don't say a lot. And I think that's kind of her fascination advantage, if I were to say, so in a lot of the language, she's, she's really like making it mysterious. And (laughs) I, I guess I say this to mean, I don't actually think stuff in this book is, is dark arts in any way. Like, I don't, I actually don't think any of the strategies that we're going to talk about are unethical or are like manipulative or like, like we might think of Black Magic. So I just want to put that out there, like in case any of us is already rubbing you the wrong way. Like, <laughs> I kind of think that's her style of writing the book more than, yeah, you know, the fact that fascination is about manipulation or tricking people or, you know, putting spells on people. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the book is divided into four parts after the kind of introduction. So there's part one, fascinate or fail, part two, the seven fascination advantages, and we'll probably kind of spend most of our time in there. Part three is tactics, and part four is how to get started today. So part one, fascinate or fail, this is really about more about what is fascination, the science of fascination, and why this is so important. So what stood out to you in this section? Um, so I think the, in this section,
1: she also really introduces her, I suppose, it, I think it's like her whole tagline, which is like different is better than better. And I think like, mm-hmm. that's like one of my overriding things from that whole thing was just like, that's what you need to be focusing on. And this idea, like, that's what part of like fascinating is like, how are we being different? And I actually mm-hmm. feel that like that's a like quite, in some ways empowering thought for a small business because yeah. like trying to be better is really hard like we can't compete on economies of scale we don't have like the resources in the same way we don't have like the breadth of skill from a workforce like all the reasons why it's so much harder for you to be better per se but focusing on being different like i feel like all of us can do that and so that was what definitely something where i thought oh actually this is something that's like really achievable and also a um, like you can think of multiple ways to do it. And there was a story where she shared about this idea of I think there was in a queue for a ride and people got to choose a ticket. <laughs> and this idea that like one of them, they really like were like emphasizing this idea like this is gonna be like for all the daredevils and it's really risky and it's scary. And then the other line was just like everyone else. But it's like the actual ride was probably like she said, I reckon it's like exactly the same. But by just having that anticipation beforehand and by framing the experience in that way, all of a sudden people felt different. And I was like, actually, all of us can do that. All of us can think of a twist on what we already provide to make it feel different. So that was like definitely my biggest takeaway from this section.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the brands that she talks about over and over again in this book, which I think is a really interesting one to talk about here is Jägermeister, mm. which is for anyone who doesn't know, it's a, I mean, I'm sure many folks do. Uh, it's a liquor that tastes like objectively pretty not that good. <laughs> like it's really strong, like bitter. Like I don't really know that many people who would choose to drink it because it tastes good it's like not a sipping liquor and you know a lot of people have like stories from college or university or like at the pub where you know it's kind of like a rite of passage it's a way of bonding where you all get together and order Jägermeister shots and like you know it's going to be unpleasant for everyone And it's like this bonding thing and the The point she's making is that Jägermeister has really leaned into this from a marketing perspective. They're not trying to say this is the most delicious liquor ever. Like they're really, I can't think of specific campaign examples, but the whole point that they're really leaning into is like, this is a bonding experience. Like it's so bad that it's good. Like have you do it with your friends? Like it's kind of it's it's a very good example of that point that she does emphasize over and over again which is different is better than better and so Jägermeister is different but it's definitely not better and they're not trying to make it better they're just leaning into that fully
1: so that's the challenge for all of us how do we think how do we find a way to be different and own that difference that's the thing as well like Jägermeister really own it like they don't hide away from it
0: hmm Um, one of the things, and this is just maybe a smaller point that I took away from this first section was about faces and how we are like it's not even a nature versus it's not a nurture thing. It's a nature thing that we are very fascinated by human faces. We like to read mm-hmm. faces and see faces and faces are just interesting and capture our attention. So this is just a small takeaway that I had that was like, oh, like putting faces in your marketing, probably a good idea. And that may be one of the reasons why so often, if your face is in your reel, or if you're, there's a picture of you somewhere on your feed or on your website, like that does tend to perform better. So just scientific evidence in this book that like, people do like to see human faces specifically, probably your human face from time to time. So something to think about. So get your face out there. Don't hide. (laughs) Yeah. Get your face out there.
1: And actually that leads quite nicely to like one of the parts of this bit was about a million years of personal branding. And like one of the quotes I had taken down in this bit was like, to become more fascinating, you don't have to change who you are. You have to become more of who you are. And again, I, I really liked this because I was like, actually, this is something all of us can do. Like all of us can really look at like who we are and then like emphasize that like, and make sure you're sharing that online. I find it quite a lot. I think that what the, us trying to share, I suppose, like who we are online, it can be feel like quite disjointed and be very different. And, you know, sometimes it's really hard to put yourself out of line, but this idea of like, well, how do you just become more of who you are and like sharing that more and making it more visible again, that mm-hmm. actually felt a very like achievable thing for a small business owner to do.
0: so good. And I think one of the things when you say small business, one of the things that the point that was made really strongly that I just want to emphasize is this this approach of fascination as like a marketing message is a very good strategy for small businesses for mm-hmm. businesses who don't have huge budgets and like they're not going to be booking the super bowl advertising spots like we are trying to do a lot with a little in old school marketing and for marketers that have like the biggest budgets in the world they can kind of rest on messaging that's just about like repeating the facts over and over again or you know repetition, just trying to get in front of people as often as possible. When you have a smaller budget, yes, we should try to, I I would argue, get in front of people a lot, but we don't have the budgets to do some of the things that like Coca-Cola or Target or Amazon are doing. So really we we depend on this approach of fascination to capture attention even more than big companies who maybe don't have to approach it that way.
1: And I think another point in this bit, which also I think is actually probably like more important in your small business, which talks about how fascinating brands don't try to speak to everyone. So when you were saying like, when you've got a big budget and your Coca-Cola and your Amazon and all those things, like you can have very mass market messaging because you have the budget to get like in front of thousands and thousands, millions and millions of people. And then like, what happens? What happens? Whereas actually as a small business, this idea of like, speaking to a very clear person or segment and being like, these are my type of people. I'm trying to build a community of these people, like people that have shared this value, whatever, they're the people that are going to buy. Like that makes a difference. And that's what like would help you to stand out as a small business.
0: And I, I would say one thing to leave you on, on this first section was they actually quoted or the author quoted a study of fascination and there's an appendix about this. I didn't read it. I'll be honest. So if you want to read more about the study, it's, it's actually, there's a lot of details in the book, but just the section that's quoted up front, which I think is a good lead to the next part of this conversation is, um, and this is a quote from the book, in the national Kelton study of fascination, we measured the return on investment for brands that fascinate customers in a state of fascination, people will pay higher prices. In some cases, they'll pay up to 400% more. So just a little extra reason why you might want to consider trying to design your marketing in this way. Are we ready to move on to part two? Yes, let's go into the advantages. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Okay. So part two is the seven fascination advantages, how to make your brand impossible to resist. And in this section, there are seven different I guess archetypes. Yeah, yeah. I guess that, yeah. is how I would describe them. They're like a different angle. And my read on the book is that we all kind of have one that we mostly lean into. We can use tactics which is a whole nother part of the book that we'll get to. We can use some of the other ones as tactics, mm-hmm. but we sort of rest on and have one main one as, as our brand. And there's actually a quiz that, I don't know if it goes with the book, but it's from the author and we'll tell you, it'll, it'll ask you some questions and then it'll spit out what it thinks your fascination advantage is. Um, so the options are, and we'll talk about each one of them, but innovation, passion, power, prestige, trust, mystique, and alert. So, upfront, I just really want to know what yours is. Cheryl.
1: Well, this is interesting because I did the test years ago. So, before mm-hmm. I read the book. So, when I read the book, I did try and dig out that email. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew what it was going to be before I did it, but I sort of didn't want it to be that. And then when I read the book, I definitely didn't want it to be that.
0: Oh, dear. <laughs> I want you to guess. I want you to guess what you think it is. Um, I would say trust or alert. Yeah, trust. Trust. <laughs> <Same Okay. theory. laughs>
1: Which she actually says in the book is like, it's a hard one. It's like hard if you have not been around for years and years, like decades and decades. That's why it's like, it's not, it's a bad one to have. It's just better if you're a more established business. So I was like, oh no. (laughs)
0: Well, but it, it, we'll, we'll talk about it, but it makes a lot of sense for just like you, you know, I think it's a good one. Um, What do you think mine
1: is? So I am torn between, I would say, passion and innovation
0: Okay. Yes. And mine is passion, Um, which I don't like the name of, but I like everything else about it. Yeah. So we'll talk about it. And I don't think it's named that well, actually. I think it's more about like energy or relationships or something. But anyway, we'll get into them.
1: I'd also say that I think the words, there's multiple reasons why I multi- like some of the words don't make sense. And yeah. we we're having a little side note offline, which is if you have read like the older version or if you like watch her TED talk, she actually has changed some mm-hmm. of these names so i think really if the name doesn't like jars of you, that's not the thing to be like to worry about it's actually the things inside so actually for all of the um for every single one for example she has five words that she used alongside it and i thought that's actually probably a better way for you to think does my brand mm-hmm. fit that rather than actually just the name she's used to describe it
0: yeah so we're going to go through each one and we'll talk th- about our takeaways from each one um but i would recommend everyone to go maybe after you listen to this or after you read it definitely go take the quiz that will tell you and i would say like if you strongly disagree like feel free to lean into whichever one you you know (laughs) innately um it's just like a 20 question quiz so like you know i don't know it's not a full um evaluation but Yeah. So I would say read it first or listen to this episode first and then go check out that quiz and see what it gives you. And I think the link is, we'll put it in the show notes, but it's brandfascination.com for the quiz. Okay. So let's talk about each of these fascinations. The first one is innovation. Should I share what the words are? So we had forward thinking, entrepreneurial,
1: bold, surprising, and visionary. That's the supporting words. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's meant to be the language of creativity so it like challenges assumptions and pushes people to think in new ways so in my head this is very much the like tra- you know you think of like really entrepreneurial creative innovative tech companies people that are changing boundaries like that was what pops into my mind straight away from mm-hmm. those types of words and her explanation
0: yeah, she gave a great example, like definitely what comes to mind immediately for me is tech companies, but she does a good job of giving examples of like how this might apply to like a smaller company. Yeah. And one of the examples is like she was at a toy store and she saw a package of dinosaur food, which was like a candy, basically. so yeah. She bought it and she brought it home. She had her kids open it. And they literally opened it up and it was like five smushed up gummy worms that like literally were nothing besides gummy worms but the marketing of calling them dinosaur food she thinks is a good example of of innovation and i think innovation one of the quotes here is innovation is the most creative of the seven advantages it imagines it tweaks it invents it surprises it introduces new options new behaviors and new ways of thinking It isn't afraid to kick up some dust and it refuses to play follow the leader. Mm -hmm. So so for each of the fascination advantages, she has some pillars or some like to do's basically of how you can use this advantage in your marketing. Mm -hmm. So the four that are relevant for innovation. So if you take this quiz or you just know innately that your fascination advantage is innovation. What she would like you to do is to make sure that your marketing is around inventing surprising solutions, turning something old into something new, doing the opposite, or infuse a dose of vice. One of the things I really do like about the book is tons of specific examples of like yeah. how a brand embodies this particular quality. So if you are curious about what I any mean, of that means, like there's a whole chapter where you can see it. Okay, so the next one is the passion advantage. And again, this is mine, which I agree with. Um, I don't like that it's called passion, but once I read about it, I was like, okay, yeah, this feels this feels on par to me. The adjectives that go with this are expressive, optimistic, sensory, warm, social. And oh. She gives a great example, which is so funny because like high school me, who, like, wore a lot of dark clothing and, and <laughs> had piercings and, like, didn't, was very unfriendly and, like, thought it was a compliment to be called intimidating would have, like, <laughs> been absolutely shocked. But I've, I've come into my own as an adult. So the example that she leads this chapter with is her daughter was going to get a surgery in the hospital, and she was kind of nervous. And before she was wheeled into the surgery room, all of the nurses and doctors created this like bubble parade where they were blowing bubbles and mm-hmm. playing music and just making it like this really nice, positive experience, basically. And kind of they viewed it as their job or like their a big opportunity that they could change the way that this girl experienced something that could be really hard, which is getting surgery as a kid. So I think that's a really good example is just like kind of creating Experiences would be something that really connected with me about this.
1: And I think because the thing is, it's described as the language of relationship. And that was why I guessed that's why it automatically was like, made me think of you. Cause I feel like so much of your business is around relationships and this idea. Mm -hmm. So she puts like engaging, heartwarming, and inspirational passion elevates emotion and connects us to something bigger than ourselves. And yeah, like I feel like it, like just matches so I'm not surprised it does it does and the four pillars for this one was to do with woo with wow use the five senses put lust before logic and create a strong and immediate emotional response
0: yeah and to me like those are kind of again they're like phrased in a way that's very much her style but it's about uh-huh. creating experiences and yeah taking care of people and you know really wanting people to feel at home and comfortable and excited and yeah so I I resonate with this one and I was hoping it was going to be the one that I got I again don't like <laughs> that it's called passion because it just it's weird it doesn't to me the name doesn't match with what it is but um
1: is it because you think passion feels like
0: stronger Yeah, it feels intense. Yeah, I can see that. To me, this is kind of not that at all. It's Mm -hmm. like, so whatever. Maybe that's just my connotation of the word, but that is passion. So the next one is power. So this is the language of confidence. And the adjectives, the descriptors that go with this one are assertive, goal-oriented, decisive, purposeful, opinionated. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like probably that's what i want to be a bit more of like i think because i like like really? goal orientated and assertive and decisive and purposeful um <laughs> i suppose this one is about but the um what's it the pillars that go with like lead the way take control control pursue specific goals voice your opinions of authority and there's definitely people like this is like leader Ship in many ways, and so there's people like mm-hmm. they talk about like um, Tesla cars, and sure She talks about uh, Beyonce, and like I feel like we it's a it's one that's like fairly easy to like imagine, like you can see those companies that have that type of like power around them and how they position themselves for me this really made me think of like how people are perceived and like that positioning of like people that are the top of their like industry and they have a lot of authority and leadership and they're like they are the thought leaders in it they are the people that are have a certain level of power and people look up to
0: them in a way Mm mm-hmm yeah, I want to just tell the Beyoncé story really quickly because I think it's so badass. Mm-hmm. So it's it's short, don't worry. Um, but basically, you can she talk did about a... about Beyoncé all day, that's fine. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so she did a musical performance, I think in front of the White House or something, that people found out she was lip syncing. And like, you know, it was uproar and whatever. So she responded to this by doing a similar performance like days later, like staged it, in reaction to this outrage where she did the it was the national anthem and she did it completely live completely like not lip synced and it was apparently very amazing and you know she was clearly live clearly showcased her incredible talent and then when she finished and people were like shocked and applauding and like so impressed she just said any questions and that was like it and I was like oh my gosh so yeah power is like the mic drop like the not you know not following anyone else like doing it your own way unapologetically mm. I love I love that one and we'll talk about tactics but I think yeah Anyway, I have something to say about this as far Ooh. as like you wanting a little more power like I think you can use it as a tactic but we'll
1: look into yeah. that Prestige Prestige <laughs> which is the one I think is very easy to see again. So this one is the adjectives are ambitious, results-orientated, respected, aspirational, elite. And um, the language is described as the language of excellence, whether established or up to the minute, humble or high-end prestige communicates exclusivity, achievement and value. And to me, mm-hmm. it just automatically makes me think of like luxury brands.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think this one's pretty easy to picture. Um, yeah. And, in ter- you know, so this is like luxury fashion and influencers and, you know, stuff like that. Um, the, the tech or the how to use prestige in your marketing. Um, this is about increasing the perceived value, setting a new standard, developing emblems. So this is like, you know... A logo on a bag that like, you know, if you have the logo on the bag, like you're part of the club or, you know, other kind of like, I guess, things that make you feel like you belong if you have this emblem in some way or limiting availability. So making there be limited quantities. And I actually didn't know this, but she said Louis Vuitton at the end of every season, stuff that doesn't sell, they don't discount it. They just get rid of it. I don't know mm-hmm. where to put it, but like that <laughs> makes me mad, but that's how they limit availability. Like they are not, yeah, they're they're not going to just like, let it be counted. Yeah. Okay. So that's prestige. I think that's probably something pretty easy for most of us to envision. Uh-huh. The next one is trust. <laughs> so this is Sherelle.
1: The, lang- the language of stability. I was like, I didn't need to read anything after that. I just knew. <laughs>
0: So the adjectives of this one are stable, dependable, familiar, comforting, and predictable. And yeah, I love this for you, actually. Um, I think you should lean into it. But some of the examples were like, um, It's a Wonderful Life, the movie that like actually wasn't a standout hit when it was first released. But it became like into the public domain or something there's some like copyright reason that it just started being aired on tv all the time even though it hadn't been a huge success initially and now it's become like part of like millions of people's christmas traditions because it's you know it represents what the holidays mean to them and it's like this recognizable like pillar of their life like a tradition almost Another example is of trust is Twinings or Twinings. How do you say it? The British tea maker. I say Twinings, but twinings. I would never rely on me for pronunciation. <laughs> I would rely on you. You're the British one between us. True.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like a Twinings tea. Um, what, I can't remember what they said about it. It's just been around for years and years and years.
0: They've used the same logo since 1706, and it's wow. like just iconic and recognizable, and it's like. Trusted for its absolute consistency. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense? So the how to use or how brands use trust in their marketing, they repeat and retell, they are authentic, they accelerate trust, and they use familiar cues. So what is it about this that you don't like?
1: It's not, oh no, no, no. Just to be clear, it's not like I don't like it. I think it was her... I think it was the section when, I don't know, it's when you talked more about tactics, like Twinings is a 300 year company. It's, it's the sort of thing where it's easy. It definitely felt as if it was a advantage that is easier when your brand is more established. So it's the type of thing mm-hmm. when you think of in 50 years time, it'd be great. <laughs> but actually, yeah. I think as a smaller business and a newer business, it's just, I don't think that's the, like i think if you had other ones it'd be easier to lean into it then but it's not i don't like it like it absolutely uh like i said i knew it before i even did it and i think that's (laughs) a really good sign for people when you like i can just tell from those adjectives if one stands out to you it's just like that is just what my business is there's no like getting away from it
0: i yeah I think there's, there's elements of alert in you too, and power too, but I, I agree. Trust makes a lot of sense. So the next one is mystique. This is the second to last. The words that are adjectives for this are observant, calculated, private, curiosity provoking, and substantive. And this is about mystery and I was about to use the word mystique. <laughs> uh, it's about like having people wonder about mm. you know. It's about surprise. She just says that
1: mystique reveals less than expected. It provokes questions. These brands know when to talk and when to be quiet. And I think that's like you know those people that like sort the brands sometimes wear it's like they're not loud and they're not always really visible but they know when to make an appearance the thing that actually really like for me that it made me think of straight away was um, the singer Adele and how like she just yeah. disappears forever and then she like would do like a one page advert for like her new album and everyone would go absolutely mental <laughs> because mm-hmm. she like would disappear off the scene for like two years she was like probably at down the pub and no one just like no one knew what was happening and then she'd come back and everyone be really excited I think that's the thing like some of us have brands that are like there every single day always talking saying more than we need to etc but whereas those ones that are like quieter and like they are just listening to what's happening around and they make people want to know what's happening because they aren't actually as in your face
0: hmm Yeah. And a lot of times with the Mystique brands, there's like a secret that won't be shared. So she has a couple of like food industry examples. One is KFC, where like there are 11 secret herbs and spices in KFC chicken that are mixed separately in different factories so that the number of people who actually know the recipe is very, very low. So there's one factory that does half the spices together. The other does the other half. And then there's a third factory where they combine all 11. Crazy. Which is just Yeah. Or there's a restaurant that like there's a kitchen that you're only allowed in to make the garlic sauce if you're literally a blood relative. So it's like these it's like secrets mm. and, you know, just kind of like mythology around your business in a way.
1: What were the, the pillars for it were um, protect information. So that's a really good example the KFC one about not letting it out. Spark curiosity, ask questions before giving answers and then build mythology. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think in some ways, maybe I don't know enough about Sally Hogshead, but the way that the book is written, I think has definitely some mystique to it. At least mm-hmm. as a tactic, if not like the, the advantage. So. Okay my take with all the magic okay so the final one is alert (laughs) the alert advantage this is the other one I thought could be Sherelle I I can see why when you look at the uh the adjectives of organized
1: detailed efficient precise and methodical I can absolutely see why you would think that I'm Mm -hmm. quite honored by that (laughs) okay good
0: so alert is not necessarily warm and fuzzy it's like What does it say? Less like a child's doodle, more like a surgeon's checklist. It eliminates mess, organizes, categorizes, implements. It lives inside spreadsheets and annual reports.
1: Oh, it makes me feel so happy just hearing those words.
0: Yeah, this is one of your tactics, if, if it's not your main one. Um, so the, just the way that she describes this is, alert follows the rules. It persuades us by defining deadlines and details. These brands get us to take action by increasing urgency. So the, the tactic or like the, the way that this is used is to sweat the small stuff, create urgency, define consequences and deadlines, and use rational facts. I'm trying to think of an example of alert from the book. And the the only thing I can really that comes to mind that I just found in the book actually is about TSA, <laughs> <laughs> which is, I mean, for anyone not American, it's like the security people in airports, basically. And one of the things that they do is they publish their most distinctive finds to Instagram So like things that they found in going through security, which have included knives hidden inside enchiladas, razor blades (laughs) stuffed into greeting cards, and three pounds of hard drugs wrapped in soft raw beef. So like, yeah, it's, it's very specific. It's about details, about like consequences. So I think that was a decent example. For me, alert is more, it's one that we can use as a tactic very easily. Mm. It's hard for me to think of other businesses that really represent a good example of that. But yes, sweat the small stuff, create urgency, define consequences and deadlines, and use rational facts. Yeah.
1: So that is the seven advantages. So we had innovation, passion, power, prestige, trust, mystique, and alert. And as we said at the beginning, we, most brands will have one, which is their primary fascination advantage. But then you can use a combination. So you'll add another one in to then be your tactic. And so then you get this like two power combination. And actually, in my version of the book, I can actually see every single combination on the inside of the cover. I was like, oh my gosh, I hope I don't have to learn all of these when I first opened it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So basically, you can use the other advance. Like, if my thing is passion, I can use power or I can use trust or I can use mystique as a tactic, but it doesn't change the fact of like what my baseline advantage is. And the way that they combine in different ways, like, is different. So I think, Sherelle, what might make sense here, just for the sake of time, is let's maybe pick one of the advantages and go through how each of the tactics might be used for that one.
1: Okay. So do you have a preference of, (laughs) um, like, should we do you? Sure. Okay. So the first thing would be if we did passion with innovation. So we want to playfully engage with messages that are out of the box, social and energizing.
0: And again, for each of these, this book goes into so much depth. So much depth. For each of these combinations, she's got examples and like, you know, little bullet point list, brand examples of how this can be used. So we won't have time to go into all of that. So passion with innovation, you just did. Passion with power. This is about attracting advocates with messages that are dynamic, inclusive, and engaging.
1: And then we have passion and prestige. So it's Elevating first impressions with messages that are expressive, stylish, and
0: emotionally intelligent. Passion and trust. So this is if I were to use some of Sherelle's magic. (laughs) This is about building lasting bonds with messages that are nurturing, loyal, and sincere. And we have passion and mystique.
1: So magnetically attract interest with messages that are discerning, perceptive,
0: and considerate. And then passion and alert. So that is about accelerating a group's focus with messages that are attentive, dedicated, and efficient. And for me, I think I like to use the innovation tactic in terms of I like to think out of the box and like make people think in new ways. What I probably use the most, like really tactically, is alert. We have talked about now why fascination is important. We've talked about the seven advantages and we've talked about how to use each of these as a tactic as well in combination with whatever your main um advantage is and again this is one where you really do want to check out the book there's so many examples and specific yeah. tips and tricks and there's a lot of food for thought in there we just don't have time to no. really get into the weeds on
1: and i definitely would my one thing i would say is because i think you know how like you leaned on the fact you naturally lean on like using alert as a tactic is really yeah. if you get the book try and push yourself to really think about how you could use all six as a tactic. Because Mm -hmm. as we went through those examples, you can see that it really can shift how your brand, even though it's obviously just a tactic and your core brand is still the same, it will change how it comes across. And I think sometimes if you do feel a bit like your brand's been in exactly the same position, it might be that it's your brand and the tactic you're using is the same thing. And so by just switching that tactic, it might like, make things a bit more fresh. It might, you know, speak to some slightly different people. It might give you some like help you think out of the box, for example, just because you're trying a different angle. So I really would encourage like, don't just skip over the tactics and be like, Oh, I like these two and do those two. Like actually try and work out examples of how you could use all six.
0: Yeah. That's a great point. And I think just kind of on a similar note to go back to what you said earlier, like the point of this is to kind of lean in to be more of what you already are. Yeah. So just because you learn that you are trust or power or passion or whatever, it's not just like, okay, great, now I know that. It's like, okay, now that I know I'm my archetype or my advantage is passion, let me learn how to really lean into that like really heavily because that's the method through which I can fascinate essentially. Mm-hmm. So, it's not about just knowing it, it's about like really leaning into it as well. Okay, so we've talked about the tactics, we've talked about the advantages. Let's talk about how to put this all together. And she has something called the Fascinate System for Brands, which is a five part process, basically. Mm-hmm. So, number one
1: is assemble your Fascinate team. So, this obviously is for a business that's a bit bigger, has some other people in it with you, but working out who should be involved. And as the, I think the main point really here is like, it isn't just marketing's responsibility. And maybe you are doing all your marketing, so that's fine. But it's like, if you've got other people, don't just think it's just marketing. Like actually, if we think about how like customer experience should be consistent across all points, it might be someone who's in sales, someone's in service, someone's in customer delivery. Like all those people need to be involved so you can make sure it's cohesive.
0: Yeah. The second one is to identify your brand's fascination advantage. This is again, figuring out which of these archetypes you are. And I think it would serve you to read the book and really learn about each of them. But I think the what she's suggesting you do to find out which one is yours is to go to the quiz, which is free, I will say. There is like a paid upgrade yeah. option, which kind of distracted me when I took it. <laughs> you don't need that. <laughs> I didn't buy it. But I was like, wait, what? It said it was free. And then there's this other. So anyway, just know that there is a free. You don't have to pay to get this. It's just a little bit going to try to encourage you to, but you don't have to. Mm -hmm. So go to brandfascination.com and that's going to help you figure out which your fascination advantage is. And so that's the second step is to figure out exactly what your advantage is. And then you get to build your brand anthem, which was a bit I loved. (laughs) Yeah, me too.
1: And she talks about how in advertising, an anthem describes a brand's highest value. And usually that is a combination of an adjective and a noun. And she does provide a few different examples. But then basically you've got to make sure before you move on to the next step that you've done that.
0: Yeah. So an example like Nike is athletic empowerment. Southwest Airlines is friendly practicality. So there's some great examples and like actually kind of like a formula for how to create this for yourself. Okay. So step four is apply tactics to strengthen your advantage. So again, they're, they're emphasizing... Or she's emphasizing that the tactic doesn't replace your point of view. It supports it. Mm-hmm. So thinking about a particular goal or sales message or marketing campaign, thinking about what tactic will strengthen that most effectively... And then in this section also, she's got a bunch of tips for how to apply individual tactics. So mm-hmm. if you're applying the innovation tactics, she's got some tips on how to do that. Um, and, and really, I would say tactical tips. So for example, I know that my advantage is passion, but I want to apply in this case, the innovation tactic. It's, she says, suggests that we highlight what's revolutionary that we're doing, use humor and even irreverence. Surprise your audience with analogies, stories or new perspectives and create unusual marketing materials. So, again, really specific advice based on which tactic you're applying.
1: And then last but not least, create a culture of fascination. And so this was really like looking at all aspects of your business and be like, how do we make sure that now that you've got your anthem, now that you know, like what your brand is and you know what tactics you're using, how do you make sure that's through the entire
0: business? Yeah. And then she just wraps up really <laughs> quickly. That's it. Like Ta-da! all of a sudden I finished that chapter and it was like a one page summary yeah. and the book was over and there's a lot of like <laughs> appendix extra resources, which Sherelle read and I did not. Was there anything like... I don't know, put stood out in there.
1: I mean, I think the Appendix A, which was the Kelton study of fascination, there was some interesting things because it's not necessarily a type of study or like, you know, that's not like research that's quoted often. You know how sometimes when we read books, it's the same things over and over again. I Mm -hmm. definitely feel like if you're intrigued by this idea of fascination, this was stuff that I hadn't read anywhere else. So I did like enjoy reading it. But other than that, And then I think that there's like also the bits on adjectives was just to like sort of help you, like just to be like, actually, if you're trying to make that anthem and you're like, I don't know how to approach it, it's just gives you some ideas. So if you were thinking, oh, that that all sounds a bit hard, really, I think that the appendix is just to make your life a bit easier. So not essential reading, but I enjoyed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yay. So what is your overall kind of like takeaway or assessment of this book? I
1: think going right back to that beginning thing about like being different is better than being better and being more of who you are so I think really like taking those five adjectives that are associated with your brand and like like double down lean into like really make the most of that and I think actually should make your life a bit easier. (laughs) I haven't Mm -hmm. managed since finishing the book to like really try and apply it to my business, but I'm really using this as part of my planning that I am doing for 2024. So I think it's that like, when you try and be like, how can I make the most of that? And remember that like difference is the key thing, Mm -hmm. but not fake difference. Does that make sense?
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. And I think for me, my, one of the things that I noticed when I was reading is when I was reading about the different archetypes, like I could think of people who were examples of them. Mm. And it's like, for me, it's permission to not try to be everything like you don't have to be the super out of the box thinker. You don't have to be the one that like, yeah, says the really opinionated statements all the time, like these work for certain people because they've leaned in so far to that because that's their archetype or that's their fascination advantage, but letting yourself go your own way and like succeed in your own style, I think is really important permission that this gives us. Mm -hmm. So yeah, my, my key takeaway is like you, it's like to lean into being different because we can't stand out if we're trying to be the same as everyone else. And to i think my number one like if i were to give people a to do it would be go take the quiz mm-hmm. and figure out like see if it resonates with you see how you how that lands with you and if you're on board with this sort of system think about trying to just really lean into that in your business and if you're really excited about this read the book for sure Yeah, I'm curious, though, like, I know we probably need to wrap up because it's time, but how do you how are you incorporating this into your annual planning? So I think think really looking at how to combine
1: the tactics, like, is it does there need to be different seasons, for example? of mm-hmm. like is it that for certain of my services I should be leaning into one more the tactic or like do, across the year do I need to be looking at different tactics or is it like around a certain communication my ta- my feeling is it's going to be more like trying to block it up into like seasons of it but as I said I mm-hmm. haven't got there yet but I just think that for me it will sort of allow me to have this combination of messaging, but it's still staying at the core. Because I think, you know, most of us in business, we don't want, even though I am all for predictability and I'll say the same thing over and over again all year round, it can get a bit boring. And so I really saw a tactic as that opportunity to like switch your messaging, but still stay true to your core. Yeah. Yeah love that and I have one other thing that I would like because I'm really intrigued is if people do take the quiz like absolutely like screenshot the podcast and tag what you are because I'm interested if because of you Lauren then that has attracted certain people that run certain like that their advantages got any similarities or if everyone be totally different Mm. like I'm intrigued
0: yeah okay good takeaway Mm. um if you take the quiz again brandfascination.com it's free. It take, <laughs> took me less than five minutes. It took me less than three minutes. It's like very simple. Screenshot your answer and let us know what you got. That would be so fun to see. Yeah. Okay. Should we talk about our choice for next month? Yeah. Should I do the jumbo? Yes. <laughs> so we are doing This is Marketing by Seth Godin. Seth Godin is for anyone who's not from or in the marketing world or you're not familiar with him. He is kind of an icon when it comes to marketing education, marketing strategy, like just his approach is very, say he's one of like the originators of modern marketing in some ways. Like he, he, uh, yeah, he's great. He's got a, a bunch of Cukes books. <laughs> Lots of books. So we had a hard time picking which book, but we're going to do this as marketing and I have not read it. I have read some of his books, not this one, or at least one of his books. I have not read this one and I'm really excited. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So yes, I will get reading that and I look forward to jumping back on the mic with you next month. Yay. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Thanks everyone. So those are our thoughts about Fascinate. Did you take the brand fascination quiz? DM us on Instagram and let us know your results. Shirelle and I are so curious. I'm at Lauren Tilden and Shirelle is at Sherelle Griffith. I am so excited to dig into our book for next month. We are talking about This is Marketing. You Can't Be Seen Until You Learn to See by Seth Godin. You can find the details from the podcast on the show notes page at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 207. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful to have your support. Here are a couple of ways that you can give back to making good. First, I'd be honored if you leave a rating and review in your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to subscribe and follow. And second, if you have a friend that you think would enjoy the podcast, send them the link. This episode is at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 207. Thank you for being here and for focusing on making a difference with your small business. Talk to you next time.